This is Invest Talk. Independent thinking, shared success. Justin Klein and Steve Peasley stand ready to take your finance and investment questions and share their unbiased answers. Invest Talk is made possible by KPP Financial, a registered investment advisor firm serving clients throughout the United States. The clarity for your path forward starts now. Here is KPP Chief Executive Officer, Financial Advisor, Justin Klein. Good afternoon, fellow investors, and welcome back to Invest Talk. This is our December 6th, 2023 edition. It is Wednesday, and like we do most Wednesdays, we have Luke Guerrero back with us. Thanks for being here, Luke. Thank you for having me. All right. Now, this is a an hour for you, our listeners, and you are going to drive the conversation. Our job here is to help make you a better investor, help you take that next step in your journey. And it is a journey that can never stop. If you want to be good at it, you want to stay on top of the trends and the risks and rewards that are out there in the marketplace, you have to... You have to have some perspective, and we're going to give you that unbiased perspective developed over 20-plus years of investment experience. And we're going to run down the market performance today, but we're also going to hit some show topics. But first, we're going to answer our first caller question now. My question is, can you name for me the best low-risk ETF to put my money on, not rather than uh, keep the, the money in, in the bank, on my account bank? I consider your opinion. Thank you so much again, and have a great day. So he wants a low-risk ETF. Did I hear that correctly, Luke? That's what I heard. So no equity is going to be low-risk. Correct. Okay. And then you have to think about what type of risk you want to take within the fixed income world, and that also is low. So you want low default risk. And I'm assuming low duration risk as well. So to me, we, we use uh, an ETF called um, SGOV, S-G-O-V, which is the iShares zero to three month treasury bond ETF, just investing in very short term treasuries. No credit risk there. Is that the first thing that came to mind for you, Luke? That's exactly what came to mind because it looks. It seemed to me from the question that he was asking for an alternative to where to put his money to get some yield other than his bank account. So generally speaking, bank accounts should be low risk. Sometimes if you have them in Silicon Valley Bank, they are not low risk, mm-hmm. but typically they are low risk. So I think that the, you know, a zero to three month short term treasury bond ETF, you get some yield, good money market fund. That's a that's about as low risk as you can get. Yeah. Technically, this is not a money market fund, but it's about the equivalent too. It's There's a little bit of duration there. Average duration, I think, is about one month, maybe a month and a half. But yeah, it's, it's, it's extremely low risk. So that's probably the way that I would go uh, about redeploying some of that money in your bank accounts. All right, we now have a lot of ground to cover over the next 40 minutes or so. So my main, our main focus point is set up by this story. Fed Chair Powell admits that inflation is easing but downplays rate cuts. And we are just one week away from the next Fed meeting. So we're going to talk about interest rates and, the, and how inflation might affect maybe real estate and potential for the Federal Reserve 
to cut rates sometime next year. And we also have some voice bank questions we're going to get to. One is on buying stocks for an 11-year-old, as well as Verizon Communications. We also have some other topics. One is in regards to the private REITs. Private REITs. And, yeah, we have some private REITs and what problems there are in that sector. We're going to talk about AI as well and Google's Gemini as well as how renewable energy is is having some issues and coming to kind of come to Jesus moment uh, within that environment as well. All right, let's pivot over though to our market performance for the day. And Luke, the market was mixed, uh, but modestly down overall. Uh, you definitely had weakness in some of the bigger tech names. So you had Palantir down 6%, uh, but crypto was up. Robinhood up 7% there. Let's see what else. Any other big movers that you saw? Uh, nothing too crazy. I think the main focus today was primarily on the labor market again with ADP private payrolls up 103,000 in November, but below the consensus. So that comes off of the heels of the jobs report, or rather the jolts report uh, the day before. So you saw the S&P 500 down about 40 basis points near its lowest levels, but the equal weighted index was flat. So like you said, some of those larger names that had a, an outsized November rally uh, we're down today, um, but from a broad perspective, it wasn't as bad as the top line number showed. Yeah, exactly. Uh, what was interesting today was mid caps did the best. They were roughly flat, whereas the large caps certainly had the the weakest uh, the weakest performance on the day, uh, followed by the small caps. You had the dollar a bit stronger, which was interesting considering, like you said, those that ADP number was fairly muted. Uh, and below expectations. And that pretends to another week jobs reports coming up uh, on Friday. One thing of note, though, is I think there is the potential for the jobs number to beat expectations. And I think uh, the reason I say that is because throughout the month of November, financial conditions eased. If you look at interest rates, pretty much the beginning of October was the start of that drop in interest rates. Oh, sorry, in October, November, was the start of uh, the drop in interest rates and the drop in the dollar. And so throughout the month, the financial conditions uh, improved. So uh, would not shock me to see a surprise to the upside in uh, the, the jobs report on Friday. But that's going to be the, the big news uh, over the next couple of days as we head into the Fed meeting tomorrow. All right, now as we move into a short break, let me tell you about our holiday giveaway contest. It offers you a chance to receive a free autographed copy of steve's book above average investing for the average investor it is a no-nonsense beginner's guide to the world of buying and selling stocks and deals with topics in an easy to read style and to enter you have to do just a handful of things subscribe to our youtube channel as well as our instagram account and like the holiday giveaway post on instagram and just tag three friends and we'll choose one winner each day until december 31st all right, now phone lines are open waiting for your calls at 888-99-CHART. Every investor is working to build a secure financial future. I will. 
Hey, hi, Steve. How they get there. I'm wondering if now is a good time to be buying preferred stocks. And when they get there. Would this be an opportune time? That depends on many variables. To get into annuities. Everyone's situation is different. And as I listened, I'm trying to turn more into an investor rather than a speculator. And so are their questions. Get your thoughts on CRM, Salesforce. I'm calling about Peloton. P-G-O-N is the sticker. I'd appreciate your take on medical properties trust. Hey, I'm trying to reach Justin Lou or Steve. Invest talk hosts Justin Klein. 15% of that capital to work in the annuity and then look for opportunities to add more over time. Steve Beasley. Okay, so when you split, you'll still have about 5%. And my personal belief is you should just hold on to them. And now Luke Guerrero. Figure out a way to diversify away that risk. That's always going to be beneficial. Are ready to provide their unbiased answers. All right, this is Boeing, a company that levered up its balance sheet to buy up tons of shares pre-pandemic. Each podcast is unique, and you set the agenda. I wanted to get your opinion on J.P. Morgan. Invest Talk is made better by the power of you. 888-99-CHART. This is Invest Talk. For serious investors, it's all about achieving financial freedom. That's why the unbiased guidance offered by Stephen Justin is so valuable. The Invest Talk Anytime listener lines are open now, and Stephen Justin welcome your questions. Call 888-99-CHART. Let's go talk to Sid. He is in North Carolina. He wants to talk about Dollar General. Do you own it or looking to buy it? Hi, Justine and Luke. Thank you for taking my call and all the guidance. It's a wonderful show and all the information. Yes, I am having a very small portion, uh, less than 0.1, but I'm thinking of adding more because this is being down for like what 50, 60 percent uh, uh, since last year. And but recently it has already rated from $102 to now $130 plus. So if you think that all technicals and other Details are great. Is it a good entry point or in long term? What do you think? Thank you for your input. All right, looking at Dollar General, and this is the name that did very well during the pandemic. And a big reason for that is because they cater to the low income consumer. And guess what? The low income consumer received a lot of checks from the government and they were able to go out there and spend. But all of that great business performance in 2021 and into 2022 has reversed and it's free cash flow now is at the lowest level in over a decade. So that's really the problem here. And if you think about the input costs or you think of inflation, you think stores that are selling things for a dollar, margins are going to get squeezed. And then on top of that, you have labor shortages and, and uh, the cost of uh, labor for your your low-end worker uh, is going up as well. So I think what's happening here is margins are just uh, declining uh, pretty dramatically. And the question is, will that recover? Uh, I don't know, Luke, do you think this will eventually recover its uh, level of, of previous profitability? Well, it looks like it's more reverting to the mean. So 2023 and 2024, it looks like it's projected to have uh, earnings per share of $7.42 and $7.61, respectively. One 
big point of concern for me is also that they have about 18 billion in debt on a 29 billion dollar company so that doesn't look good as well and like you said during the pandemic uh, lower income families shop there they got those checks well what's happening now is a lot of the savings is disproportionately being depleted from those lower income families so i just don't see it recovering anytime soon because of those things yeah that's the big question here is what will happen uh, as the economy continues to weaken uh, and and whether that mean reversion will go the other way. That's what I, I worry about is it goes past the other way and it goes not back to pre-pandemic levels, but even below that. Um, the technicals have improved, right? It's rallied over the past couple of months, but it hasn't made a higher high. So to me, this remains in a downtrend. I see no reason to suspect that the downtrend will be reversed anytime soon, especially when you look at the trends in earnings uh, estimates. They continue to be downgraded. Earnings was to fall 30% this year, flat next year, but once again, that those trends even for next year are coming down. So this is not a name that I would be in right now. I don't love, typically in an inflationary environment, consumer staple stocks don't do well. This would be a consumer staple company. Because that's what they're selling. They're they're not selling high end goods, selling your everyday kind of low priced products. And when the cost of inputs across the economy go up, it's going to be very difficult for them to not break the buck uh, and and to uh, keep their margins relatively steady. Uh, and you know the best thing you can say I think for this is that gas prices are coming down. Typically, there is a correlation between gas prices and spending at these stores. Why? Because that that brings discretionary spending up and down pretty dramatically uh, when gas prices rise or fall. And so that's the only positive I really see here. But I think those overall general secular trends uh, are against something uh, like this. So uh, I'm passing on dollar general. All right, as we go to a break, break please remember that you can call anytime and leave your questions on the best stock voice bank if you're listening via our live stream or on am 1220 in the silicon valley area you can call right now and talk to us live at 888 chart justin klein is here and ready to take your calls live invest talk 888-99-CHART. Our now main focus point is set up by this story headline, and that is Fed Chair Powell admits that inflation is easing, but downplays rate cuts. And we know that inflation has slow and steadily fallen. And the big question is, how much is that because of the Fed? How much is that supply chains just healing themselves over time? But what's most interesting is what Powell said recently. And, and, and that's one thing most people don't understand is that they think that the Fed speaks every six weeks and that's how the market knows what's happening and what to expect. And the simple answer is that can be further from the truth. Uh, both Jerome Powell, the Fed chair, as well as the other members, they speak all the time at economic clubs of St. Louis and, and at universities, et cetera. Uh, so this is something that is followed by markets. 
And recently he spoke, Jerome Powell spoke at the at Spielman College in Atlanta. And he noted that over the last six months, and which that's interesting here is that while the headlines might say year over year, this is what the, the number is, it shows you that the Fed is actually focusing on short-term uh, inflation numbers as well. And basically he said at 2.5% over the past six months, it's pretty close to their 2% target. But he said it would be premature to conclude with confidence that they are done raising rates and that there will be an easing cycle anytime soon. But Luke, that has not stopped the market from pricing in many rate cuts starting sometime next year and most likely in May. Uh, is the market dumb for not taking Jerome Powell at his word? Well, I'm always a proponent of the bond market being a little bit dumber than uh, people think it is. Uh, I think in, in this situation, you saw a massive fall in the 10-year yield that maybe is justified, but it it doesn't make sense to me personally that you have some Wall Street firms suggesting that there might be six rate cuts next year. Uh, when that doesn't seem to be where the Fed is. I mean, uh, Fed Chair, or Governor Waller, rather, said that he could possibly see some cuts as early as spring, and it seems that the market has interpreted that to be almost a 60% chance that there's a cut at the March meeting. So I think there's a little bit of a disjointed idea between these two, and maybe the market is over-exaggerating the chance of a, a cut in spring, but I certainly do see cuts next year although maybe not on the consensus timeline of the market. Yeah, it's pretty interesting how rapidly the expectations in the markets have shifted from a potential rate. Basically, what, three months ago, we had potential of a rate increase by year end and then keeping rates about these levels for the vast majority of next year. I think three months ago, there was a a one cut by the end of the year. Now there's something like six cuts priced in throughout through the end of the year, starting, uh, like you said, in May. Um, so in March or March, excuse me. Uh, that's, that's a little extreme. Uh, that's, that's a big swing on economic data that certainly is weak, but not drastically weak, not recessionary weak, but you know, a continued slide into general weakness. And I don't think that is something that warrants as much of a shift in policy expectation. So, you know, we'll know a lot lot more after this Friday's job number, as well as the Fed speak to close out the year next week. Um, but yeah, it's a, it, it's quite perplexing to see the market move so dramatically, unless they think there's some sort of credit event coming. But if you look at the credit markets, that's not an issue, right? Uh, credit spreads have actually uh, tightened over the past six weeks or so and near the, the, the lowest levels this year. So it's not like you're seeing a credit market event unless, you know, are we going to get another Silicon Valley type of event in the market, maybe surrounding commercial real estate? I don't think that's going to happen either. Um, I don't know. What what do you think could particip- precipitate a f- actually the Fed cutting? I don't think it's going to be subpar job numbers, right? No, I, I agree with you. The thing about credit events and why they tend to be so systematically dangerous is because you don't see them coming. 
So I think if people are factoring that into their decision-making, that within the next three months, there's going to be some sort of credit event to precipitate a, a, a quick cutting cycle, I think that may be a bad way to look at things. I think overall, the message here is that forecasts this far out tend to be not as accurate as people would like you to believe they are. So this yeah. is making some base assumptions that will certainly change. I think when February rolls around, we should maybe lend some credence to the market's idea of what's going to happen in March. But there's still a lot of time. There's still a lot that can happen. And I just don't see a lot of accuracy. And really, there can't be because who knows what's going to happen uh, with what's going to happen in a March meeting, which is three months away. Yeah, I, I think the, the, the best case for a Fed cutting cycle commencing in the first half of next year really has to do with the base effects. So as we get into next year, now suddenly you are uh, looking at numbers in a year-over-year basis uh, for the early part of this year, right after the uh, Social Security beneficiaries received a 9% pay boost. Uh, The economy was was relatively strong early in the year up until the um, Fed, uh, sorry, the Silicon Valley banking crisis. Uh, But the market, uh, the economy in general didn't really have a a lurch lower or anything like that in March. Um, And in fact, in the summer, you had a a reacceleration in GDP. So, you know, I think as the year goes on, it might be more difficult to beat those, the the numbers from this year, earlier this year, and that could precipitate, hey, yes, the economy is falling into a recession, Uh, maybe a technical recession, and that could precipitate the Fed slowly, methodically lowering rates, but I don't think they're going to do it at a fast pace. And I, I think that's what I had the most issue with is not just that the Fed is going to cut rates, but that it's going to do it at that pace, which I just don't think it will happen. All right, we're heading to a break. So give me a call now at 888-99-CHART. eBay Motors is here for the ride. Remember when you first saw the potential? And then through some elbow grease, fresh installs, and a whole lot of love, You transformed 100,000 miles and a body full of rust into a drive that's all your own. Look to your left. Look to your right. It is official. No one's got a ride like this. There's nothing else that sounds like, feels like, or looks like the set of wheels in your garage. With over 122 million parts, you can make sure your number one ride or die stays running smoothly so there's no limit to how far you can take it. Brake kits, turbochargers, engines, exhaust kits, roof racks, LED headlights, bumpers. Whatever your baby needs, eBay Motors has it. And with eBay Guaranteed Fit, it's guaranteed to fit your ride the first time, every time, or your money back. Plus, at these prices, well, you're burning rubber, not cash. Keep your ride or die alive at ebaymotors.com. Eligible items only. Exclusions apply. Everybody wants a secure financial future, but getting there takes strategy, discipline, and the right information. That means you'll have finance and investment questions. So don't forget to call InvestTalk, 888-99-CHART. Hello, this is James from Georgia. 
I was trying to contact you guys about Verizon Communication. I've got it in both of my portfolios. I've got a rollover IRA, and I have a standard account. Anyways, what I was thinking about doing, uh, Zebra Technologies, um, Z-B-R-A. Um, I'm curious, do you think I would be more profitable, perhaps, increasing my position with ZBRA and maybe just selling off Verizon? I think I've got too much of it. I'll look for your answer. Sure appreciate the show. Hope you guys have a great day. Thank you. Well, he's looking at two very different companies and very different size companies as well. Verizon, obviously, very large telecom name hundreds of billions of dollars in market cap, whereas Zebra Technologies, kind of a mid-cap name, $12 billion market cap. And what they do is they make thermal and thermal transfer printers, RFI printer encoders, uh, and it's a good business. It's a secular grower. And they did really well during the pandemic. You've definitely seen a reversion in the mean in earnings, but they have far less debt than than Verizon. And that's what makes me lean towards, yeah, even though Zebra is smaller, that you're going to get a, a, a better balance sheet, a, a secular grower uh, in Zebra, as opposed to something that, you know, is, is part of uh, a three-pronged, would that be oligopoly within the telecom space? Uh, you know, good company, but the growth just really isn't there and they, they, they have a lot of debt. So, uh, I would pick Zebra over Verizon. What about you, Luke? Yeah, I agree. Verizon's been losing some market share for some time. Its stock price is certainly reflecting that as well. Both companies, their cash flow has been decreasing over the past couple of years. But in Zebra's case, they have pretty decent relative valuation. And although their net margin should shrink in the next year, according to estimates, their earnings per share looks like it might go up, according to the most recent estimates. So $9.79 $9 in 2023 and $11.32 in 2024. I think, generally speaking, when you think that you have too much in one company, you probably have too much in one company. Mm -hmm. So it's always a good idea to diversify. Yeah, and Verizon is going to be your your classic duration type of equity. It's a duration trade. Because it has so much debt in its balance sheet and because it's a dividend payer, low growth, it's going to do well if bonds do well. And it's not going to do well if bonds don't do well. And so the it's rallied. So it's rallied from about $30 per share at its low back in October now to 38.50 at the close today. So I would take advantage of this rally, trim into it. Maybe you're going to take some losses into your end as well. Maybe some tax loss uh, selling potential as well. Uh, and I would uh, definitely be uh, uh, rather be upping my allocation to Zebra over Verizon. All right. Thanks for the call. Now let's touch a bit on the private REIT space and something called net asset value. Now, in the mutual fund world, which, Luke, you're very familiar with, there is a standard definition of what net asset value is. It's simple. What are the total assets within that fund? It's the value of that minus the, any potential liabilities. And you get a net asset value. But in the real estate world, especially the private, non-traded REIT world, the type of REITs that are sold through your big brokerage firms and your, your quote-unquote advisor is collecting some sort of a commission. And they're going to give you a, a statement that says 
the value is X, but in reality, it's Y. And what Y is, uh, we don't know. Uh, and neither do these companies, and they actually admit it. Uh, in fact, the largest private REIT out there, the uh, was it the Brookstone B REIT, is it Brook BlackRock? BlackRock, BlackRock, uh, private REIT. They say in their annual report, Luke, that any quote NAV calculations are not governed by governmental or independent securities, financial or accounting rules or standards. And further, there are no accounting rules or standards that prescribe which components should be used in calculating NAV. And our NAV is not audited by our independent registered public accounting firm. Basically saying, we state the value of this fund based on however we want. Now, I don't want to say they make it up, but in some ways they make it up, right? Yeah, that's correct. And and this is wild to me. This is something that I didn't even think about because if you talk to any mutual fund manager, they'll tell you that NAV is critical because it's important for investors to know the value of what they're buying into or selling on any given day, which is partially true. The real reason is because mutual funds are governed by the Securities Act of 1940. And as such, it is a requirement under the law that the NAV matches the actual asset value of the fund. So much so that mutual funds that invest in international securities do something called a fair value adjustment. So any adjustment may be necessary to international securities if some market event, while those individual local markets are closed, may affect asset prices. So it's not even just the most recent value of securities, but they also make those fair value adjustments as well. So it's interesting to me that the government, the SEC regulatory bodies have allowed this term, which has a very specific meaning, to be used in a way that is not accurate at all. Yeah, basically what you're saying is they shouldn't use the term NAV. It should be some other term that is widely known as not having a general standard. Uh, And it's pretty clear that this is becoming a problem because the average publicly traded REIT since the end of 2021 is down 25%. And the Blackstone Real Estate Income Trust is up 2% since then. So how can they buck the trend that dramatically? Are they that good at what they do? Are they so much better than all the other REITs in the world? The simple answer is no. And that's why they have actually capped redemptions for 13 consecutive months And they restrict withdrawals to 2% of NAV per month, basically saying you can only get 2% of your NAV out each month and cap 5% per quarter. And so it just shows you that these private securities that you go out there and, and buy, and they're going to be pitched well, and you're going to, there's going to be this air of stability with them. But the reality of the underlying assets, and it's not just the private REITs. It can be private, uh, private credit uh, funds as well, uh, where there's not a true transparent standard. Uh, these assets don't trade all the time like, like uh, an equity, right? The, the most mutual funds out there, they're buying public equity. So they can see every single day what the value is. In the marketplace, whereas a lot of these uh, these don't, and so that's really the issue here is there's not a lot of transparency. There's uh, there, there's a lot of uh, 
skirting around the truth, I think, from a lot of the management as well as the salespeople uh, in order to protect their businesses. Uh, and so just a, a warning out there, if you get pitched these names, you own some of them, you know, you understand that uh, what you're seeing on your screen or in your uh, on your statement uh, isn't always the truth. And uh, honestly, when you actually go and sell it, from my experience, you, you get less than the NAV. You get to, uh, you have to sell it at a discount. Yeah, All and right, I, 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 I do want to correct myself because I did mean the Investment Companies Act of 1940, but I, I like to pick overarching themes of these lessons. And, and for this one, it's, it's that people are sometimes trying to sell you things. And the most important lesson that we always say is knowing what you own. So don't take what people say at face value. Exactly. Do your due diligence. All right, from time to time, we also receive InvestTalk questions via web form. So here's one that came in from Canada. So, hey, guys, I'm Canadian. I'm wondering if it's better to invest in a certain amount into my RRSP, the equivalent to a traditional IRA, to lower the amount of taxes I have to pay come tax time, or take the hit on taxes and invest until I cap out my TFSA, which is the Roth IRA equivalent in Canada. And this is simple. You can go watch our uh, our Roth versus traditional IRA video on our YouTube channel and explains it more in more in depth is simply what you put money into, whether that's the RSB or the TFSA or the Roth IRA or Roth, traditional IRA or a Roth 401k or traditional 401k is all about tax arbitrage. What is your tax today versus what you expect your tax rate to be in the future? And no one knows for sure what the tax rate will be in the future, but what's your tax rate today is a pretty good guide. If it's a low tax rate, Odds are good you want to max out your Roth contributions because you're effectively locking in the current tax rate. If you're in a high tax bracket and you expect in the future to be in a lower tax bracket, that happens to a lot of people or maybe in their prime earnings yields years in their, in their 40s and 50s and early 60s. And they expect once they retire, hey, I'm not earning any money. Maybe I'm just getting my Social Security or whatever then that's when you do Roth conversions and things like that. So it's all about tax arbitrage. And I would say, just think of your current tax rate and whether you want to lock that in or not. All right, we're heading into, or we're deep into the fourth quarter, excuse me, then deep and heading into uh, the end of the year. So I encourage you, if you are not prepared, don't feel like you're prepared to meet your your goals, uh, your proper investment strategy for 2024, I encourage you to reach out to myself at KPP Financial, where we practice parallel investing, which means we invest right alongside our clients. And we operate the same philosophy as we do here on InvestTalk, which is in embedded thinking and shared success. So take advantage of our free portfolio review assessment via telephone or go to meeting. Just send us a message through our website on investtalk.com. Click on the portfolio review button on the top right of the screen. Now let's keep things moving and squeeze in another caller question now. Hello, Steve, Jason, and um, Luke. This is Paolo calling from Davidsburg, Maryland. I actually have a question on a stock I was uh, researching for. Ticker symbol is DCI, Donaldson Company, Inc. I wanted to increase my exposure in industrials. I wanted to ask your guys' opinion because I always like to listen to it on the podcast and I'm looking forward to it. Thank you. Bye-bye. All right. Looking at Donaldson 
company. Uh, Luke, this is actually one we discussed a couple weeks ago, right? Yeah, I believe so. Yeah. And it's in the industrial space. They manufacture air and liquid filtration systems for various industrial applications. Uh, kind of in this, a small cap name, I would call it $7.4 billion market cap. And it's a very profitable name, return equity 28% right now. Pretty much no debt on its balance sheet, very clean balance sheet. Enterprise valued about even about 13 times. Uh, I think ultimately went with a different name, but I, I remember kind of liking this name overall. Yeah, if I recall, I, I did like this name overall. It's it's relative valuation is a little high for me right now. It's about a price to book of six. Its net margins, though, are pretty steady and should be pretty steady going forward. And, and it's had some decent earnings upgrades over the past couple months. One thing that is probably a little alarming is its, it's vo- daily volume is pretty low. So its 30-day average daily volume is around half a million dollars. Um, so half that's, a million shares. Half sorry, a million half a million shares. shares. Yeah, good correction. So that's a little lower than than some of the you know similarly sized companies. That might be something to be concerned about, given that you know it, the volume at which something trades affects the spreads when you do end up buying or selling it, and that can in turn affect the price. Uh, but overall, the company is seems to be pretty well run. Yeah, uh, and and my biggest issue with it, why I went with a, a different name for our clients, was really the the trend in the the chart. Uh, it's been underperforming the industrial space really since the early part of this year, or the call it springtime, uh, and continues to be in a general downtrend. Uh, so I, I I don't like that kind of near term. Uh, issue, uh, you know, it's rallied recently with the industrial space, but it's been underperforming. So, you know, I think a lot of that has to do with growth. A couple of years ago was in the mid to high teens, uh, top line growth, and now last quarter zero, zero on revenue, zero on profits, and it's still currently trading at above, multi- above market multiple about twenty times. So, until the technicals improve. I wouldn't be jumping in here, but this does remain a name on our watch list, something to monitor for maybe improvements in the technical backdrop and maybe buying that when that starts to improve. Uh, But until then, it just remains there. Uh, So good business. I like what you're looking at. So you're looking in the right vein, industrial name, good balance sheet, good long-term profitability. It's just not really lining up kind of near term for a potential purchase. So, uh, but but like the like the company, and uh, love that you are asking about names that uh, fit the type of businesses that are likely to do well in this era of uh, regional so regionalizing supply chain, shall we say? All right. Now, in the next invest talk, we'll look into the story behind this headline. In China, a record eight million mortgages and loan defaults demonstrate a worsening economic crisis. Financial experts say that the figure highlights the depth of the country's economic downturn. That story tomorrow, but for now, I'm Justin Klein. I'm ready to take your calls at 888-99-CHART. One of the most rewarding things I do each weekday is host the Invest Talk podcast. I truly enjoy helping investors. And I know that every question counts and every answer I provide will be unbiased. 
You, the caller, get to chart the course for each Invest Talk podcast. Call with your questions anytime, day or night, 888 99Chart. I'm hoping Justin can help explain a complicated ETF I got myself into that I don't really understand. It goes by IVOL, and that's the Quadratic Interest Rate Volatility and Inflation Hedge ETF. It invests in tips and also long options on tips to generate more returns. And my understanding was that if rates rose, it should do well, but it hasn't done well, and I don't understand. Thanks so much for helping me make sense of this. Bye-bye. All right, looking at IVOL, which is the quadratic, quadratic interest rate vol and inflation hedged ETF. And you're right, this is not done well since basically the beginning part of 2022. And I, I've seen this before. I don't remember their exact strategy, and, and I do think it can, can shift. But uh, basically, it's going along the break-evens uh, on, on tips. And so if inflation expectations are coming down, then this is not going to do very well and vice versa. And you know, as the economy has slowed over the past couple of years and inflation peaked right around 8% about a year and a half ago, this, this also peaked. And so naturally this has come down. Now, uh, if you get a resurgence in inflation at some point in the next few years obviously this will do well uh I, I just don't see that you know kind of near term so i don't see any reason why you want to hold on to this you made a mistake learn the lesson which is luke what is it know what you own know what you own exactly so uh you didn't know what you owned and you didn't know why it may go up or down uh and therefore you know you you made a mistake and sometimes you learn through listening to a show like this and other times you have to learn the hard way. Um, so uh, that's the, the simple fact here. Uh, just sell it, take your lumps, maybe a tax loss and move on. Good lesson. So our next focus point today is surrounding something that everybody has heard of for the past six or seven months. And that is AI. Now, typically when we hear about AI, we've probably heard about ChatGPT or OpenAI, but this story is actually about Google, who just announced today that its new generative AI model, Gemini, will run directly on mobile phones for the first time. And starting Wednesday, which is today, this AI will power Google's Bard chatbot and will eventually be launched more broadly into its search engine from next year and also allow Android developers to easily build AI apps and features that work offline. So why is this big? This is big because the cost of running AI on cloud servers is incredibly and prohibitively expensive. So Justin, it seems to me that this is a pretty big advancement in AI, being able to run it on mobile phones and also allowing it to be more open source for developers. So my big question is, how do you think the cost savings are going to affect some of those big chip makers that have seen a big run-up in the past year along this AI narrative. That's exactly, that was exactly uh, the point I was going to make. Uh, if AI tools can be ran natively on just your smartphone, the power of, you know, our smartphones are very powerful these days, uh, especially our Apple devices, uh, and, and, but even Android devices are very powerful as well. Uh, and so if they can 
basically duplicate 90% plus of what your chat GPTs can do while just natively on your phone. It solves a lot of issues, like you said, costs, as well as privacy. And then the it can scale a, a lot better and you can build more applications that aren't reliant on big mainframe computers hundreds of thousands of miles away. Uh, and so... And then you aren't reliant on the NVIDIAs of the world. And I think that's what the expectation that has been built in NVIDIA stock is that if you want to run AI, you need NVIDIA chips. But what this is kind of showing is that you don't really need that. You just need a, a somewhat powerful smartphone and you can do just as much uh, pretty much as, as, as the big powerful applications. So uh, I think this is a huge stepping stone uh, if it works as advertised. Obviously, the proof will be in the pudding if they can actually uh, make this happen. But uh, big news today, and I think that's why NVIDIA is down, but also why uh, we see actually sold a, a, a name within a, one of for, for, one, for our, one of our strategies, and it was a, a REIT in the cloud computing space, and it, that it's ran pretty dramatically. And if this is a thing, you don't need these huge mainframes. Uh, that's certainly going to impact that part of the uh, that sector as well. So this could have an impact uh, across the tech sector, not just on NVIDIA and Google. All right. That about does it for today's show. I'm Justin Klein with Luke Guerrero, and we thank you for listening. We encourage you to tell your friends and family about our free podcast downloads, which you can find anytime at iTunes, Spotify, or Google Play. And be sure to rate and review on iTunes as well. It's official. We have surpassed the 57 million download mark. Thanks to you since it all began. Independent thinking, shared success. This is InvestTalk. Good night. InvestTalk is a trademark of KPP Financial. Because of the nature of the interactive dialogue inherent in the format of this program, it's important for the listener to understand that not all comments made will apply to them. Specifically, nothing said shall be taken to be investment advice or shall statements on this program be considered an offer to buy or sell security. Because such advice is rendered solely on an individual basis and at times will require that the investor review a prospectus before investing. InvestTalk is a copyrighted program of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial, a registered investment advisor firm which retains all rights. For more information regarding KPP's investment advisors, call 1-800-557-5461. Steve Peasley is president and Justin Klein is chief executive officer of Klein, Pavlis, and Peasley Financial. Thank you for listening, and your comments and questions are welcome on our 24-hour listener line at 888-99-CHART.